0: Well, here, I, I'm curious about this. You know, faith, Where uh, the book of James talks so much about faith. How many of you have been a Christian maybe longer than five years? Let's play with this. This would be fun. Keep your hand up. How many, 10 years, would you say 10 years? 15, 20, 30, 40, <laughs> 45, 50, 55, 60, 65, 70, 75, 75. Okay. You've been Christians a long time, right? So, wouldn't we assume you got it down? You got it right? How many, who, who, who would say here you're really good at it by now? Really, I think you're good at it. But I know how I am. I know there's times where I think uh, it seems. Sometimes I feel like you know, am I am I missing something? It seems like for some reason I haven't got it quite right. Anybody feel like that? And you think by this time of my life I should have had some of this figured out? I, I you know I thought by now, for instance, I've got a bunch of quotes here. For, for, I thought by now I wouldn't struggle so much with anger. Why is it taking me so long to get over that? Why is it, why is it uh, got to read these right Uh, i'm still getting tempted by pornography why is it taking me so long to get better i go to church every sunday but i still have doubts why is it taking me so long to get better i thought i'd be a better person by now and and i've got so many bad habits why is it taking me so long to get better i'm a bitter person even though i covered up most of the time why is it taking me so long to get better i wish we had answers for that but um have you ever heard this before? Wouldn't it be nice if once you converted, if once you accepted Christ, you were perfected immediately and just zapped up to heaven? It would be kind of weird, though, wouldn't it? You'd, <laughs> I mean, there wouldn't, it would be kind of an evil world if you think about it. There'd be no Christians here to affect change with everybody else. But I think I might have told you this before, and, and I guess if you know me, you know I would do this. But I remember once we were driving down. In California, the camps are always in the mountains, unlike here. But here that's at the lake, there it's in the mountains. There's lakes in the mountains, but still, anyway. So you're driving down the hill, and how many have ever been like in Colorado or California in the mountains, and and driven on those roads where there's just a guardrail, and then just absolute gorgeous beauty, but also a cliff? Anybody ever seen that? Okay, so there's been many times where I'm driving down the mountain from camp, and students would say, oh, Pastor Dennis, be careful, don't get close to the edge. And I would say, didn't you just go to the altar last night at camp? And they'd say, yes. And I'd say, well, wouldn't it be better then just to all go to heaven right now? And then you can see some of their faces like, that is the most twisted, evil thing I've ever heard anybody say, you know. And I said, I'm just kidding, but I'm just saying. And they have no idea what I'm really saying. What I'm really saying is, as an adult, you know how tough life is. And I'm glad they committed themselves to Christ, but we all know that there's a lot more struggle to come. And just because they've committed themselves to Christ in the moment doesn't mean that their faith is perfected. None of us are perfected. The fact is we, we do struggle with things and we still, their sins we think are in the past and they, they come up again. And I think part of it is we live in this society today where everything does happen fast. Now, some of us in here are older and, and I know some of us have lived longer in life, but let's for just a moment, remember how some things used to be. Does anybody remember this? Just kidding, none of you would remember that, right? None of you remember that, right, right but how many how many have heard stories of maybe really your grandma Tennessee to Kansas in a covered Kansas all the way to Kansas? oh good, okay, in a covered wagon, Wow, now my grandmother talked about that my my you know grandma loose. Remember her talking about that, riding the covered wagon to school? No, no joke. She would ride a covered wagon to school. That was the bus. And she said, Do you remember these stories? They put sleds on it because they were in, in the winter and put a stove. They actually had a wood burning stove in the wagon on the way to school. Yeah, okay. Well, today we don't do that, right? My mom flew here from San Diego today in three hours. Nonstop flight, three hours. And with the time change, well, it was, yeah, anyway, it was fast, right? They could never even imagine that then. this is this was fast back then, right? Anybody ever cooked on one of these? this This may be possible with some of you. Your grandma had one. And that picture, I really like that one because to, to me, I'm looking at that one and I'm thinking, she, I'm assuming it was a woman, was incredibly good to get those those muffins to look like that, right? That bread, the rolls. because think about let's what's that? They do taste, my mouth is watering. But think about that. They had a, she had to build a fire there next to it or coal or some kind of fire, right? And then regulate the heat. And what do we do now? I mean, you're not going to cook rolls in the microwave, but, but really, I mean, you've, if you've got a gas oven or a gas, I mean, it's hot like that, right? And a lot of us have those electric cooktops that are, I mean, that's amazing. And you can cook so quick, but kids have never seen anything like that. I mean just it just happened. Anybody know what that is? How many had different ones of those? <laughs> yeah, that oops, I skipped it. There's that Selectric, IBM Selectric. That's what I learned to type on. And uh, I can still even hear the sound and feel that. You know how that had that pressure, you push almost part way down and then it would go? Remember that? And that was fast. You you had a Royal? <laughs> the old Royal, my grandma had one of those. Was, I remember playing and getting those the little arms stuck because I'd hit too many keys at a time. But yeah, and now life has changed so much. I remember, and I'm not even. Someone said I'm not that old. Why would I even say that? Because that's not even true. But I remember I had a roommate in college who had a oh, what did they call it? We didn't. Uh, it wasn't a computer really. It was a an abacus. <laughs> a what? A word processor, right? He had a word processor, so you could see almost a whole line before. So if you did make a mistake, you know, you could go and correct it. And uh, I made a lot of money uh, making, typing papers that year. But our, our kids today would never... But you, you hear what I'm saying? Does anybody remember when you hand wrote things? I mean, wrote, wrote? In cursive? And it had to be legible? <laughs> My mom and dad have the most beautiful handwriting. I think I've mentioned that before. He still does. It's incredible. You know, compared to mine, you know, but uh, anybody know what this is? (laughs) When's the last time you went to a library to study something? I mean, why? You've done it recently? Really? I mean, I just, I mean, really, Google, I, I, I must, I probably reference Google at least once a day. There's probably not a day that goes by that I don't, I'm not curious about something and I don't check or look it up like, like that. I mean, think about the world we live in today, yet our spiritual life, it doesn't work like that. There is no difference today from 100 years ago to 2,000 years ago to what we're going to look at tonight, which is 5,000 years ago. We're going to look at a story tonight that's 5,000 years old and the spiritual development that was happening then. Now, there is a big difference, which we'll talk about, but my point is, as Christians, it's not instantaneous, no matter what. There is no comparison to the kind of writing that a lot of us did, handwriting. Remember and you'd make a mistake and you'd have to do the whole thing over? Do you remember what that was like? I remember the first time using Whiteout and thinking, this is awesome. And it still looks horrible with Whiteout. But do you remember that, how, how cool Whiteout was? Anybody have those little, little things you'd stick in the typewriter in front of the typewriter and hit it again and cover it? Yeah. Wow. Anybody have a cool typewriter that had it built in? Anybody have those? Where it would lift up and have a correction tape in there? That was awesome. I never had one, but the library had one I remember using. But Our Christian life's not like that. So why does it take us so long to get better? And why is it as we're living the Christian life that we stumble and go backwards sometimes? Or, like I mentioned a minute ago, go back to sins that we thought we had conquered, and yet it's like that. Here's... One of the things that I don't think we want to fully acknowledge and accept, but it's in the Bible, so you're stuck with it, okay? And James says it over and over, but in a way, excuse me, even as I read it, it kind of rubs me wrong because I don't want to learn this way. You know how I want to learn? I want to learn with success after success, and I want God to pat me on the back and say, gosh, I knew you were great. You could do it. Right? I want everything to be work and everybody to be happy all the time and everybody to like me and everything I do. And guess what? That's not real life. Because the fact is, God builds our faith through the trials of life. Now, I will add a caveat here. I don't believe that he puts you into horrible situations, but I do believe there are times that he puts you into things you think are horrible situations. And there are times where the enemy of our souls would love to set us up, but he's the one that brings, you know, the, the pain, the death, that he's come to kill, steal, and to destroy. God has come to give us life. But God will use all of that to build into you amazing things. And we look at these things, and a lot of times, here's, here's where I want you to be careful, because it's easy to think and to, to make the leap and say, oh, God is doing this to me. We say that, but I don't believe that's necessarily the way Scripture reads it. In fact, I just... I, Hey, by Bible reading, I'm doing a different program right now. And I just read through the book of Job all together again. And it's interesting how uh, Job at times will say, God is doing this to me. And then later, God corrects him. Now, God does do amazing things through the negative things that happen to us. But, but I, what I don't want anybody to ever get, the, get kind of backward or upside down on this and think, for instance, oh, God took my mom or God took my child or God, did, God didn't do that. That's not how it works. But he does do these amazing things in us through trials. And then what James continues to repeat to us, it's through the trials of life as opposed to a dead faith that produces nothing. Now, some people throw away their faith when there's a trial. And that's another thing I think that James is trying to correct in us and say, don't throw your faith away when you're going through a trial. Instead, now this is a big one, embrace the trial and learn something. Who's with me? (laughs) Wouldn't we rather just complain about it and whine? Wouldn't we rather avoid it? I mean, really, if you could find the easy way, wouldn't you want to take the easy way? But there's no growth in the easy way. There just isn't. It doesn't work like that. You don't just... I remember, I don't know where I heard this, but wouldn't it be nice if you could just sleep on the math book and learn it? And osmosis, it would just soak into your brain? No. You have to work. You have to think. When I, when I teach this apologetics class at, at uh, Summit Christian, it's fun because they do have to think. And I tell them, it's hard work. And then I try to give them a little bit of ego. I play with their ego. Your friends will not get this because they're not gonna do the work you're gonna do. They will not think the thoughts you think. That's true. If you don't do the work, your mind will not be trained and you will not think those thoughts correctly. You just won't. But it doesn't mean it's easy. It's work. It is work. <laughs> oh, he does. And I want you to hear this too. Only dead fish go with the flow. It actually takes effort to swim. You know that, right? Anybody fish? I mean, you watch fish, you're fascinated by them, you've seen them. I mean, looked at them in, the, in nature. They're working. They're moving. When they stop moving, they're dead. That's sad, but it's true. And when they're floating, they're dead. But a lot of times in life, we feel like that's how we want our Christian growth to be or the Christian walk to be, just easy, on easy street, just glide along. That's not how it works. It just doesn't work that way. I've often compared it to running up the down escalator. Have you ever, you've done it, right? It takes effort. You cannot stop. You cannot go part way. You have to exert effort more than the down escalator to go up. I'm not recommending it, by the way. They get really irritated by that. I don't know why, but they do. We're going to look at uh, Abraham tonight. That's why I was talking about 5,000 years ago. And in James, the book of James, he he refers to Abraham. So let's take a look. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And he asks this question to a crowd that, that would have revered Abraham as the greatest soldier of faith. And when he did this, when he puts it like that and he says, was he not he justified by works, most of the listeners at the time would have stopped and said, wait a minute, he's our father of faith. They would have been completely stunned. It's like a good comedian that says something that kind of shocks you, and then they come around with the joke part. You know what I mean? They say something that stops you in your tracks. This is what that statement would have been to most of James's hearers at the time. Because Abraham, they never thought of Abraham as working, and that's not even what he's saying. He's saying he's justified by his works. That's what he's saying. But they would have thought, well, wait a minute. I thought it was about his faith. So he intentionally did that. But think about that. Remember, let's just quickly review Abraham's life, okay? Now, I've pointed this out before, but if you look back into Genesis 11 and 12, you will see that Abraham's father actually was called to go to Canaan and didn't go. He settled. But then God calls Abraham, look at it right here, It was by faith, as in the book of Hebrews, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. That is faith. And I'm going to mention this a few times because it's, it's worth repeating. What part of the Bible was in existence when Abraham did this? Not one word. Not one word for like 2,000 years. Nothing. What did he know of God? I'm not, I'm, this is not meant to, to belittle us, but he knew a million times less than you do. And yet he responded in faith. Each one of us, and I, I again, those students, I tell them all the time, you, they already know more than most of us knew in college about the Bible because they've gone through the school this whole time. Most of us have lived and known and heard sermon after sermon and read the Bible and over and over and over. You know more about God and His plan for you and intentions for you. You know more about him and his faithfulness than Abraham ever knew <laughs> and he operated in faith that's why he's a hero because he did what God said to do, and he didn't even know where he's going, and he had, he had nothing to lean on like that. The fact is. He trusted him, and, and he didn't just trust him this way, but he also trusted that God would supply an heir to him, even in his old age, and this is in, right out of Genesis, and he brought him outside, and he said, look toward heaven, number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be, and he, talking about Abraham, believed the Lord, and then he, the Lord, counted it to Abraham as righteousness, because he trusted and he believed. And then in Romans uh, 4, uh, Paul says, for what does scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. What what James is trying to say is that Abraham's obedience proved that he had real faith. He proved by his obedience that he had real faith. I, I like to think of it like this. Your feet tell more about what you believe than your mouth. What you do is way more important than what you say. Your feet, your feet tell way more about your faith. Abraham was a man of faith, but he was also a man of human weaknesses. Can you think of any of his weaknesses in his story? Lying, that came out fast. Yes, lying, yes, lying. Now he had faith when he left Ur the Chaldees, we know that. But then right away, he lies about his wife Sarah to the, to the Pharaoh in Egypt. Lies and says it was his sister. Why did he do that? Lack of faith. What does he tell Pharaoh? I thought when you saw her, you would take her. So he told her to lie. But then he has a great, great victory and he frees Lot. Remember, Lot was captured by all these kings and then he goes and goes in battle and frees Lot and all that. And then he meets and he's blessed by Melchizedek. He gets this great, great promise from God that we read just a second ago. Then huge lack of faith. Can anybody think of what I'm talking about? Hagar. He doesn't trust God's going to provide for him, and he looks around, and Sarah looks around and says, we're both getting old. God promised you this. Maybe God, may he takes it into his own hands. He doesn't trust God for the outcome. Instead, he takes it into his own hands. And then again, uh, he he, uh, is circumcised in Genesis 17, and then again, he lies about Sarah in Genesis 20. So yes, he's a man of faith but he's also a man of human weakness. Let me ask you this question again. So why haven't you figured it all out? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm not trying to make excuses for us and I'm not trying to minimize our, our walks of faith. And I've already kind of poked us a little bit by saying we know the whole Bible and we have it and we have the story and we know God and Abraham didn't and yet he was faithful. But he also, he also had weakness just like us. So I'm not trying to minimize any of our weaknesses, but I do want us to see the fact that it's something we all share. I don't want you to be so hard on yourself that you give up. Years and years ago, I was I was actually a youth pastor in um, would have been L.A. at the time, and we had a big youth convention, and um, the speaker was was really anointed, and God, the, the Spirit of God was moving, and most of the students had gone down to the altar. There were these two girls in my youth group and as as I, rem- I remember it I always I don't I'm kind of spatial this way I remember it, it was we were on that section and they were kind of in the middle right there and um uh, and most of the students had gone down to the altar and I had instructed all of our volunteers go with students and pray with them I didn't want them to lose our students in the crowd I want our, our leaders to pray with our students and these two girls were there and, and um these were two girls that had been in the youth group a long time well one of them had one of them her mom went to the church but the other one didn't and uh, the one girl, I knew her really well because her dad had committed suicide. She's the one who found him in the tub. It was horrible. And uh, she struggled, struggled really bad, promiscuous, um, all these things. And yet she was at church, and she brought her friend to youth convention. And I, I remember kind of watching them. They weren't talking. They weren't being bad. They were just sitting there, almost stone-faced. And I, I was shocked because the, the sermon was so anointed, and and everybody had responded, and so I just felt prompted, and I went up and talked to them, and I, I said, what's going on, guys? And they just looked at me and broke into tears, both of them, and they just said, Pastor Dennis, we have confessed. We have gone down to the altar. I, they said the number of times, and we meant it every time. And every time we go back home and go right back to what we are doing, I, we just, I don't want to be fake anymore. I don't want to be a liar. can't lie to him anymore. I'm just, I'll never be good enough. I remember sitting there, first of all, just overwhelmed at their honesty, right? Because there's probably a lot of kids who've gone down to the altar who were just going because everybody went, you know, if we're, if we're honest, that happens. I was also uh, really challenged because I'm looking at these girls and I'm thinking, I'm ple- I, in my mind, I'm thinking, go one more time, go again. And they did. We went down and we prayed and, and um, can anybody relate to the story? You've asked God over and over and yet you fail again. I didn't want him to give up. I didn't want him to give up and stop trying. Because the truth is in the Christian life, you're going to have times like that. And and these girls I mean, well, I mean they' I don't I didn't really know the one the friend as well as I knew the, the one girl. But um hearing her story and knowing the background and knowing what she'd been through and um it I, Part of me was thinking, man, you've got a hard life. Can't even imagine what she's been through, you know, and the nightmares. I, I can't even imagine. And um, just to, to fast forward, she now runs a ministry for battered women in her church in Orange County. And uh, she's doing fantastic. She just got married. I mean, it took a long time, but she's there. She's awesome. But I look at that, and I, I will never forget them being so honest that day but they went back to the altar. Here's here's the thing. As God tests our faith, and I I don't know what tests they walked through over and over, but there's this test that that James is referring to here that is a test that that was never repeated anywhere else in the Bible. And and it doesn't even fit with God's character that we know of Scripture. But this test where he he comes to Abraham and he tells him um, to bring his son and sacrifice him. So Abraham knows this is what's gonna happen. And as you know the story, this is his son. This is not the son with Hagar, but this is the son that's the son of promise. This is Isaac. Isaac is going to be the fulfillment of that prophecy which we read where God told him, your descendants are gonna be the number of the stars. So not only was he this beloved son, but he was the fulfillment, the promise itself. And and Abraham knew that. So as they load up and they get ready to go to, to do the sacrifice, you, you have to wonder what was going on in Abraham's mind. And, and what James is doing is he's reminding of this, this story and calling it a test. And I don't know if you can even think of anything in your life that would correspond to that or relate to that, or if any of you been through a test or maybe going through a test that would at all be similar to that, where, where you're called upon to sacrifice that much. I can't think of anything that really, really lines up with that. But if you look at his life, you wonder how in the world could this happen? We get a little picture in the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, we're told Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. I read that and I'm just in awe. And twice in the book of Genesis, Abraham hints at this. This is, I'm sure, where where the author of Hebrews got this because. When they're getting close to where they're going to um, sacrifice, Abraham says, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there. Then we will come right back. You see the hint of his faith? He says, we, not I. I, I don't know what he's thinking. And, I, and I've, I've heard people say, well, that's, he was just saying that because otherwise the servants might have tried to stop him or, or might have tried to talk him out of it. And, and I don't know, I don't think that's true. I think he really did believe that God was gonna somehow come through. Here's my point in this, and I think this is James's point. There's gonna be times in your life where the test you're enduring is overwhelming. And it's so much so that you think, God, are you even in this? Where are you? And you start to struggle and you start to wonder, God, is it possible? And what I think James is trying to tell you is that there's, there is a God in the middle of this test who is going to build something in you if you just hold on, if you just go down to the altar one more time, if you just trust him to help you one more time. We see another hint here. Isaac turned to Abraham and he said, Father, yes, my son. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? <laughs> Abraham answers him. And this this, this answer right here Is the answer that you need to hear He says God will provide Now in this case It's a sheep for the burnt offering my son But what you need to hear is God will provide And Abraham answered that And then they both walked on together And I I want you to I want to remind us again The fact is he's saying this with no Bible He'd never been to Sunday school There wasn't going to be a Jesus for 2,000 years There's no New Testament No precedent for God raising people from the dead There's nothing like that in scripture to this point There's no record of of God interacting even with man, much beyond this conversations that he's had with Abraham. And then, of course, in Noah and Enoch walked with God, and then we see him talking with, with Adam in the garden. Other than that, where does Abraham get this faith? I don't know. I don't know. But he believed God. And because he had that faith, God counted him as righteous. He had never seen this happen before, but he trusted God. You may be in a situation where you don't see a solution and there's no precedent for anything coming good in this but what i'm telling you is god will provide my son my daughter he will provide that's faith perfected in james 2:22 the next verse there he says you see his faith and his actions worked together his actions made his faith complete that word complete is perfect jointed together perfectly anybody ever put a joint together like a corner on a table or anything there's really really obvious when it's perfect and when it's not right when it's perfect you can't even tell it's there it's perfect that's what that word is made his faith complete in the amplified version it says you see that his faith was working together with his works and as a result the works of of the works his faith was completed reaching its maturity when he expressed his faith through obedience you can actually express your faith through obedience. And remember, we, I, I don't want to belabor this, but what was at stake there on Mount Moriah wasn't just his son dying, which was enough. That would have been enough. The fact is, it was the promise. It was the promise of inheritance. And I don't know if Moses or Abraham thought this through at all, but I would. So I assume he would have thought it. He was already had a baby, which was a miracle, at 100 years old. Did he have another one in him? Probably not. I don't know. But all he knew is that this was the child of promise. There's no way he's going to die on this hill. God will provide. He didn't know how. He hadn't seen the sheep. He hadn't seen any of that, but he trusted and he believed. He knew that if Isaac died, the promise of a great nation would die. He, in, in a way, in a way what, what Abraham does here in this perfection of his faith, it's the opposite of what he did with Hagar, if you think about it. With Hagar, what did he do? He, he couldn't see how God could do it, so he took it into his own hands and did it himself. And in this case, he couldn't see how God would do it, but he trusted God to do something out of nothing, something impossible, totally, totally different response to an impossible situation. He refused to wait for God's solution before, and in this case, he didn't. I think what happened was Abraham determined to obey even when he didn't understand. That's big, isn't it? <laughs> how many times have you told your children to do something, and they say, why? And as a parent, there's times where it's frustrating to you, and and you step back and you you reflexively want to say, "Cause I told you so." That should be enough. And the fact is, you're wondering why would they even question? I'm mom, or I'm dad, or whatever. And and in, embedded in that is your the concept that I know a lot of things. I've done this before. You, all the experiences you've had, all the knowledge wrapped up into that that command or request or. Or, in you know, injunction you've told that child. And that when the child questions that, there's more in that. Like, you, they're doubting your, your ability, or they're doubting your knowledge. They're doubting your intent. They're doubting all these things. Just do what I ask you to do. But we, as children of God, do the same thing over and over and over and over. And we don't obey. <laughs> oh, what, God, what Abraham knew, what did he know? He knew what God had asked him to do, and that's it. He knew nothing about the future from there. Just that God would do something. And I think, I think it's the greatest example of Abraham's faith. We usually sin like Hagar. We usually take it into our own hands and try to figure it out, right? And there's nothing wrong with God, God giving you a mind and giving you experiences and you trying to figure it out. And there's, it's not that as if you just stand there and wait, okay, God, do something. I'm not saying that there's total separation. You don't do anything. What I'm saying is, is when we oftentimes just take it into our own hands, what we usually don't do is trust God. We usually don't wait, we usually don't pray, we usually don't forgive, we don't usually hope, we don't usually uh, live right no matter what the challenge is. We usually don't turn the other cheek, we usually don't give with expectation, no expectation of return. We don't usually give the second, third, fourth chances that we need. How you react under pressure reveals the character inside, reveals your faith. It's kind of like that D.L. Moody quote where he said, character is what you are in the dark when nobody's looking. And then James, he goes on and he says, as it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God, friend of God. Just to give you a little of the chronology here, James is quoting uh, Genesis 15, 6 here. And then what happens next is God puts Abraham into this sleep. It's kind of a weird story right there and what he does is he makes this covenant with Abraham and in ancient days they would take an animal they would cut it in half and then separate it and then the two people would walk through the center and that would signify that they are committing and covenanting it together and if either break the covenant that they they would have to be then cut in half i mean it's symbolic that they would pay that price that that animal paid because they walked through that that that's gross but through that blood together but in this case Abraham's asleep and God walks through alone. Anybody guess why would God walk through alone? Because it's all on him. Abraham can't save himself. Abraham can't even fulfill his side of the bargain completely. God does though. He does. He he, he holds, it It kind of looks like this. Abraham believed God. His faith was credited in his righteousness. Abraham falls asleep and God walks alone between the pieces of the slain animals because he's the one that perfectly fulfills that covenant. And James goes on, he says, you see that a man, a believer, is justified by works and not by faith alone. That is, by acts of obedience, a born-again believer reveals his faith. The faith that's in you is revealed, shown, illustrated, demonstrated by the actions that you do. That's what James is trying to say. He, he keeps saying it over and over and over. He goes, if, if faith without works is dead, and, and then, then actually your works demonstrate the faith that you have. The Bible mentions faith a lot, and there's different ways to look at the faith. There's the faith that you, you can say that there is the faith that was delivered to the saints, talking about the kind of the body of doctrine and what we believe about God. And there's, there's a difference there, talking about the living trust that we have in God, the trust that we have in God that motivates us to do things beyond what we'd even imagine. I, I look at it like This true faith will change you, and then that faith will be seen sooner or later in your behavior, in what you do and don't do. I never thought about this before, never seen this before, and it's, it's kind of a beautiful thing to, to compare Abraham and Jesus. Can, can we do that for a minute? And the Bible does this so many times where Abraham becomes a type for Jesus. Moses becomes a type for Jesus. You know, as Moses freed the, Is, the Israelite slaves, Jesus frees us. I mean, you see all these, all these comparisons back and forth between the Old and New Testament and the Old Testament characters and us. But if you think about these things for just a minute, Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son. God actually sacrificed his son. More than that, Jesus endured physical death, spiritual death to obtain redemption for us. There was no one to call out. When when Abraham raised the knife to, to kill his son Isaac, the angel cries out and says, stop. But there was nobody to say stop when, Je- when God sacrificed Jesus because Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. That was the plan all along. It wasn't. It wasn't just part of it. In fact, Peter says, God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but he has now revealed him to you in these last days. And when you have time, you should read Revelation 5. It talks about there was nobody worthy to open the scroll, but the lamb who was slain. And John, as he's seeing this revelation, he sees Jesus in the form of a slain lamb. It's really hard to even visualize or imagine. And it says that he is bearing scars and wounds as as it, though had it been, he had been slain. And he's got perfect power and perfect knowledge. It, it's just an amazing picture as you read through it. Think about this for a minute. Abraham offered his son, the father offered his son. Isaac carried the wood, Jesus carried the cross. Isaac was laid on the altar, Jesus was nailed to the cross. Abraham was willing to put his son to death, The father willed his son to death. The ram was offered in place of Isaac. Christ was offered in place of sinners. Abraham received his son back figuratively, and then Jesus literally rose from the dead. (laughs) It's literal. What's what's the point of all this? God intends to bring our faith to completion. What was the point of that whole exercise with Abraham? God wanted to know. Would you willingly offer this greatest treasure you have? Everything Abraham lived for was this treasure in this promised son. Everything was wrapped up in this boy. And God was asking him, would you lay that on the altar? Comes down to this. Do you believe that God is God or not? So many times we grasp onto the little things that we need or want or think we need. We want them, but we think we need them. And we put those things ahead of him and his provision. And so many times it's not about the things. I mean, when it really comes down to it, money's not the issue. It's the love of money, right? It's not the people. It's when we put them in, in, in a in a position which isn't healthy or does they don't deserve. It's not it's not having power or titles. It's when that goes to your head and you misuse it. It's not accomplishments. God wants us to accomplish things, but but it's, it's who gets the glory and, and who who takes pride in it or who's where your pride is placed. It all comes down to that. There are no evil tests. What it comes down to is how you will respond to those tests. So let me ask you to shut your eyes for a second. David, if you could put some music on, and I just want to ask you a question with us tonight. Do you want your faith to come to completion? Kind of like that question, do you want... More patience. Almost afraid to pray that, right? Because you don't want to go through a test that builds patience. Those tests are horrible. I don't want those tests. But do you want your faith in Christ to grow? Do you want to grow to to the point of completion? Then that means you're gonna go through some tests. With your eyes still closed, I just want you to think about some of these examples. You know, Pastor Nick and, and Brittany, they've trained for that half marathon and and uh I mean he was coming to the office with gym clothes and there's times where in the afternoon he was leaving to go run and he had the schedule he had to follow to get to the point where he was able to run that 13.1 miles you're not going to go out and run 26 miles overnight you have to get to that point it takes a lot of work just to get to the point to compete and as a christian a lot of times we get the idea that it's it's going to come and we're going to grow in our faith in christ and it's going to be easy but it's not how it works it's actually work it takes time. I know people who've, who've had to work through difficult things with a counselor and uh, most of the time the counselor will tell you this is going to be tough. And you kind of nod your head and say, okay. But what you don't realize is it's work. It's hard to do. You want a good marriage. It takes work. It takes sacrifice. You want to learn things or accomplish a degree. You could go and buy it on the internet, but it won't mean anything. But if you're actually going to go to school and work for it, then it means you're going to have to work you're gonna have to read, you're gonna have to write, you're gonna have to think, and it's gonna be work. So I'm asking you this, I'm asking it, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, I'm asking it really between you and God. God is asking you tonight, do you want to grow in your faith? Then that means you're gonna learn through trials and you're gonna learn and you're gonna have your faith tested and sometimes you're gonna fail and my prayer is that more often you're gonna, you're gonna succeed and you're gonna grow. So just for a few minutes tonight as we close our service, I invite you to just spend some time and be honest with God. And he asks you that question, do you want to grow? My prayer is every one of you says yes, yes, yes. Then tell him how much you want to grow and listen to what he has to say. What do you need to work on? What what is it, God, that you need to do in me? What things do you need to work out of me? What things do you need to work into me? God, I want to pass these tests. Help me, Lord God. Give me the spiritual insight and wisdom to know what to do and when to do it, what to say, what not to say. God, I pray that you would work in each and every one of us, draw us and and help us to become more and more and more like your son, and to be willing to go through each of those tests as they come. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you as you pray tonight.